days where I really do wish we had special music so I could have recovered a little bit from the last song. Uh, there are a few songs that we sing, and I'm sure this is the case with you, that get you emotional. That's one of them for me. Uh, that is one of my favorite songs to sing in church. Uh, the other thing I would like to make mention of before I begin uh, is that this Sunday, next Sunday, I'm supposed to preach, but also keep in mind that in 15 days, I'm supposed to have a baby. Uh, so hopefully, I will be able to do both of those things. Uh, I will be able to preach both Sundays, and we will be able to see our child uh, in a few weeks, but there may be a schedule change up, and if I'm not here to preach, I don't know who we call on. Uh, so next Sunday might be interesting, but Lord willing, there won't be a conflict there. Uh, and for this Sunday service, I was asked to speak on the topic of missions. And as the Lord would have it, in youth group a few months ago, I had gone through a series that I called One Chapter Books, because there are a number of books in the New Testament that are just one chapter long. And one of them that I was able to preach on, or teach on in that uh, case, was Third John. Uh, and Third John is a missions-oriented book. So you can be turning to Third John. Uh, I would recommend that you start at the end of your Bible and work forward. It's a lot faster than going the other way. And don't feel bad if you miss it, because it is, again, only a one-chapter book. It is like half a page in some Bibles. And as you're flipping there, uh, I'm going to ask that all of you stand. So hopefully you can multitask, flip to Third John, and stand. So the reason I'm going to have you stand is because I want to have a bit of a contest. So because it's a missions-oriented message, I wanted to see who had, well, traveled the most. Uh, so you're all standing because as far as I can see, you've all been to at least one continent, namely North America. If you haven't been to any continents, I don't know what you're doing, uh, but every single one of you has been to at least one. So if you've been to two continents, please remain standing. Everyone else, please sit. Okay. If you've been to three continents, please remain standing. Everyone else, please sit. And in, in case you're wondering, it's North America, South America, Africa, Europe, Asia, Antarctica, which is going to be number seven, uh, and Australia. If you've been to four continents, please remain standing. This is the part where I would sit down. I've been to three. If you, wow, okay, we still have people standing. Uh, if you've been to five continents, please remain standing. If you've been to six continents, please remain standing. Have you guys been to Antarctica? You have? Yeah, the seventh continent. <laughs> six continents. Has it been six? Six. Okay, what, what brought you to all six different continents? All right, so it was all military service that took you to all six? Plus some, trips. Plus some mission trips. Okay. For me, in, in my travels, for example, uh, I've been to Europe on a school trip, and I've been to South America on a missions trip. And so during the church picnic, if you would like to hear stories from around the world, uh, you know who to sit next to and talk to, because he's been to everywhere except Antarctica, maybe, uh, from, from what it sounds like. So the reason I bring this up 
is that for most of us here today, uh, the Lord's plan for us is going to largely involve the United States of America. Uh, Chances are, and again, these are general statements, so I understand not everybody falls in this category, but chances are you were born in the United States, chances are you live in the United States, uh, and chances are when the time comes, you will die in the United States. And that's not to say good or bad about your life. It's just that's going to be kind of the trend for most of us, I would think. Uh, Now, there are going to be some of us whom the Lord calls to Europe or Asia or Africa to do missions work or to do just work work. And we'll live there for a time. Maybe we'll live the rest of our life there. But I think for the most of us, we are going to spend our time stateside. And a lot of our local ministry, a lot of our work, a lot of our impact for the Lord uh, is going to be seen stateside. But what I want to get at in this message is that your impact for the Lord doesn't have to stay stateside. So we're going to be going through all of 3 John, and that might sound scary at first, but if you look at it, it's only 15 verses. And the author of this book is the Apostle John. And at the time that this book is written, he's probably the only apostle left. Uh, It is believed that he writes... The Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation, all between 85 and 95 AD. And it is believed at that point that there are none of the other original 12 disciples left alive. None of the other apostles are left alive. It's just John. And the purpose in his writing, to to make it about as broad as I can, is to encourage a friend of his in the ministry that his friend has and in the life that his friend lives. And it is his friend's ministry which makes this book a missionary book. And so what I want us to understand from 3 John is that we live in obedience to Christ, we love the brethren, we participate in their ministry, and we prove our salvation when we support missionaries. We live in obedience to Christ, we love the brethren, we participate in their ministry, and we prove our salvation when we support missionaries missionaries. So we're going to start in verses 1 to 4, and we're going to get introduced to John's friend. His name is Gaius, and we're going to see his attitude towards the brethren. Verse 1, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. That is how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. So this letter is addressed to the beloved Gaius, whom John loves in truth. This phrase, loves in truth, is common within Johannine literature. Uh, And Johannine literature is just a quick way of saying the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation, the biblical books written by John. To love in truth means that it is... Love in deeds, it is an active love, it is a love that acts, and it is a love that agrees with the teachings of Christ and is obedient to the commands of Christ. So it is an active, self-sacrificial love, following Jesus Christ's example, obeying Jesus Christ's commands. So this is the love that John has for Gaius. Now, we don't know much about this Gaius. Uh, In fact, we know very little about this Gaius aside from what's in 3 John. There are a number of Gaiuses 
Gaii. I don't know what the plural of Gaius is. Uh, but there are a number of Gaiuses mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, I believe there are two that are mentioned, both in Paul's writings. The first was a traveling companion to Paul who came from the city of Derb or Derby. The second was a homeowner who hosted not only Paul, but a church in the city of Corinth and who was baptized under Paul's ministry. And these Gaiuses, Gaii, are mentioned uh, in the book of Acts, in the book of Romans, and in the book of First Corinthians. Now, whether either of those two, Gaius, is this Gaius, we can't say one way or the other. But what we do know from this Gaius, what we can reason about this Gaius in Third John, is that he was likely saved under John's ministry, because John refers to him as one of his children. Uh, this was a very common phrase used by John. It was a term of endearment that he used for those whom were saved under his ministry. It is believed that John, as an apostle, oversaw a rather large ministry that affected largely Asia Minor, what we would call Turkey today. Uh, Ephesus seemed to be the main city that he operated from as well. And if you read the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, all seven of those churches that he writes to are in Turkey. They are in Asia Minor. So it's believed that because John refers to Gaius as my child or one of his children, that Gaius was saved under John's ministry. And historically, John's ministry was in Asia Minor and Ephesus. So most likely Gaius is from Asia Minor, perhaps Ephesus, and he was saved under John's ministry. And this is the prime example of loving someone in truth, that you share the gospel with them and that they get saved. That is the prime example of loving someone in truth. And it's not just that Gaius got saved and then John left him to the wolves. It's that Gaius also grew under John's ministry. This is how John loves him in truth. Now, we do learn a couple other things about him. Uh, verse 2, we learn that he is in amazing spiritual health. To the point that John's prayer for Gaius is that his physical health would match his spiritual health. I don't know about you, but I've never had someone pray that for me. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, I don't want someone to pray that for me, uh, to have my physical health match my spiritual health. But this is John's prayer for Gaius, that his spiritual health is so good, John's like, I just wish the rest of it was as good as your spiritual health is. Additionally, we learn that Gaius is walking in truth. Again, this is another common phrase in Johannine literature. And in truth means to be in obedience to the teachings and commands of Jesus Christ. If you remember in John's gospel, what is the truth? There, there is the way, the truth, the life. Who is that? Jesus Christ. When you read in Johannine literature, the truth, he's referring to Jesus Christ. Because that is the truth. He's, he's already made that clear in his gospel, the gospel of John. And your walk refers to your life. That's just a common illustration used throughout all the New Testament letters uh, to describe you living day by day. So to walk in truth, then, means that Gaius's life reflects obedience to Jesus Christ. Gaius's life shows obedience to Jesus Christ in his actions. 
We also learn in verse 3 that Gaius' behavior, Gaius' love in action, Gaius' walking in truth is so good that other people are telling John about it. Now, when people come to John, they testify about Gaius. They report about Gaius. They talk about Gaius. And it is a great joy for John to hear this report. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. It brings great joy to John that one of, the, one of his children saved in his ministry, grown under his ministry, is doing this well and he's hearing about it. And what we're going to hear is what the testimony is of the brethren. This is in verses 5 and 6. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. And they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. We learn here that Gaius accomplishes much for the brethren, even the ones that he does not know personally. So this is how Gaius shows love in action. This is how Gaius shows his obedience to Christ, is that he is accomplishing much for the brethren. And we will see what that means in a few verses. But I do want to make a note here, this line, and especially when they are strangers. It's not that Gaius is practicing no discernment, and that if someone claims to be a Christian, he's just letting them into his house and supporting them while they're there. That's not what John is getting at. It is believed, based on the ending of 3 John, that those, within the, those under John's ministry in the Johannine community went by a name called the Friends. And it, was, it is believed that there were many in this ministry who would be sent out from either John's church or churches under John's care, and that even if you didn't know someone, an individual personally, you knew the ministry they were under. They were under John's ministry. So it's not that Gaius is just accepting anybody who claims to be a Christian with no proof one way or the other. It's that Gaius doesn't know these individuals personally, but he knows who sent them. He knows the ministry they're under. They're under John's ministry. So even though he doesn't know them personally, he still brings them in to his home. He still much for them. And so John... Hearing of Gaius' current support, hearing of his love, encourages him. You will do well to send them on, a way, on their way in a manner worthy of God. John encourages Gaius to continue supporting the brethren. Gaius will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. This word, send them on their way, is used elsewhere in Scripture. Uh, turn with me to Titus 3.13. So you want to go past Hebrews, and you're going to end up in Titus. It's three chapters, so it's, it is also pretty easy to miss. It's a pretty short book. Uh, Titus 3, verse 13. We're going to see the word used in Greek for send them on their way used here in this verse. And we're going to see the qualifier put to that word. So Titus 3, verse 13. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. This phrase, diligently help on their way, is the same Greek word as send them on their way. And in both cases, when this word is used, a qualifier is attached to it. 
a, a phrase that tells you how you're supposed to help them, how you're supposed to send them on their way. In Titus 3.13, it is so that nothing is lacking for them. If we go back to 3 John, it is in a manner worthy of God. The idea with this word is that you not only supply the needs of the people who are with you, it is that when they leave, you are also making sure that they are for the next leg of their journey. So you're supplying their needs when they're with you, and then when they leave, you are making sure that they have supplies that they need that will get them through to whenever their next stop is. It is, it is an overabundant supplying here. It is sending them on their way in a manner worthy of God, as though it were God that you were supplying for the next trip. Now, we're going to learn who these brethren are and why Gaius should give them so much. So first, John has heard the report of Gaius from the brethren, and he is overjoyed that Gaius is walking in truth, that his soul prospers. He then tells us what that report is, that he is accomplishing much for the brethren, and he encourages him, he encourages Gaius to continue to support the brethren. And now what we're going to learn as the audience reading this letter is who these brethren are and why John is putting so much emphasis on this support. Verses 7 and 8. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. These brethren, we learn, are those who have gone out for the sake of the name. We have a word for those people. What would we call them? Hey, there we go. Someone talks loud. Thank you. Missionaries, right. All I heard was... Until someone... So thank you, whoever called that out. Right, we would call them missionaries. These are those who have gone out for the sake of the name. In the very early church, I'm talking when the apostles are still alive, the common form of missionary work that was done was more like a circuit preacher. Today we have a lot of missionary activity that you go to a camp or a church and you stay in one place and you have your ministry in that place. And that's totally fine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that missionary work at all. However, in the very early church, missionary work looked much more like you went from city to city preaching the word of God. If we go all the way back to Jesus Christ, this is the kind of missionary work that he did. Judea, Samaria, Galilee, Perea. He went all over the place teaching, performing miracles. Again, we look at Paul. Paul went all over the Mediterranean, going from city to city, town to town, preaching the word. This was the common form of missionary work at the time. And when a missionary arrived in a town, or when a missionary arrived in a city, they needed a place to stay. They needed somewhere to go that they could have their needs taken care of while they were in that city. And it was common practice for Christians in the very early church to stay in one home. And the reason for this is found in Matthew 10, 11. Uh, you can turn there with me if you would like, but you do not have to. But Matthew 10, 11 is a very clear command from the Lord when he speaks to his disciples as he is sending them out on their missionary work. Matthew 10, verse 11. And whatever city or village you enter, 
inquire who is worthy in it, and stay at his house until you leave that city. It is believed this is why Christians, Christian missionaries in the very early church did it this way. Because that's what Jesus Christ told his disciples to do. When you show up to a city or a village or a town, you find who is worthy in it. You stay at their house until you leave your city. And you move on to the next one. This is also quite different than how pagan missionaries did it. Other traveling preachers and teachers did it. When other traveling preachers and teachers did it, they would show up in a city and they would often bounce from one house to another. And so there is also this separating of Christian from worldly. That the worldly preachers and teachers, they will go from home to home when in a city, trying to find people to support them. Whereas Christians, when they find a home that supports them, they stay. It is just another way to kind of show the difference between believers and unbelievers in the missionary work. So Gaius opened his home to these missionaries, and he supported them while they were in town. And as we have today, so did they. Once a missionary is done with their ministry for a time, they go on furlough. And the missionaries would eventually return back to the town or the home church that sent them out. And they would give a report. And it is most likely in this circumstance that John would have heard about Gaius's walking in truth. Because the missionaries would have gone around, they would have stayed at Gaius's home, been by Gaius. And when they get home, they give that report. And John hears about it. And he hears about one of his children walking in the truth. One of his children's soul is prospering because he accomplishes much for the brethren, because he is supporting those who have gone out for the sake of the name. And John is overjoyed. And so John sends this letter to Gaius as an encouragement to him. Now, the reasons for supporting missionaries in verses 7 and 8 are twofold. The first is that they accept nothing from the Gentiles. Uh, Is anyone here Jewish? Okay, so we're all Gentiles. Now, I want to make something clear about this word. Uh, When it says Gentiles, it doesn't mean anyone who's non-Jewish in this particular context. Gentile was a common phrase used to refer to unbelievers. So what we're getting at here is that these missionaries do not, do not take support from unbelievers. So reason number one we should be supporting missionaries is because if they can't take support from unbelievers, what category of people are they left with? Believers. That, that is the only place they should be drawing their support from. So the first reason we should support ministries is because we're all they have. It is up to us as fellow believers, as the church that supports them, or that they are supported so that they can go and do their ministry, wherever it may be, whether it's in the town over, whether it's on the next continent. We are their support. They do not pull it from unbelievers. Therefore, as John puts it, we ought to support such men, verse 8, which, by the way, There is no clearer verse in scripture on the fact that you as a Christian should be supporting missionaries. It uh, it can't be made clearer than that. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men. Christians should be supporting missionaries. That is something that we should be doing. 
Because, one, we are their only source of support. And two, and this is the second reason, so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. The word here for fellow worker in the Greek is the word synergos, or I'm going to say it like this, synergos, which sounds a lot like our English word, synergos. Okay, again, all I'm hearing is... Synergy, there we go, thank you. You guys got to project a little bit. Uh, Synergy, right. In English, the word synergy means combined action or operation. In the Greek, it's a little bit more specific. It is a person who participates in the same activity as oneself. So if you're on a soccer team, for example, and you and your teammate are both playing soccer... You are synergos. You are engaged in the same activity. And what we learn here is that when you support a missionary, you participate in their ministry. If you get nothing else out of this message, I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to say next. If you have been half asleep, completely asleep. If you have been on your phone. If you have been thinking about the food that you're going to be eating in a couple of minutes. If you have not been paying attention at all. And by the way, just so you know, Uh, The person up here 100% can tell when you're falling asleep or when you're on your phone or when you're not paying attention. You're all terrible at hiding it. Every, Every audience is terrible at hiding it. So yes, I do notice. But if you haven't been paying attention up to this point, I need you to pay attention now. You participate in the ministries you support. That is for good and that is for bad. If you support a missionary that goes out and shares the gospel and sees souls saved, you participate in that good ministry. And if you support a ministry that preaches a false gospel or a false Jesus Christ and you support them, you participate in that ministry. If you support a ministry, you participate in it for good or for bad. So Gaius, when he accepts missionaries into his home, is participating. Gaius, when he offers that support of his home and his food and his rooms and the lodging and all of that, he is participating in their ministry, even if he never shares the gospel with the people that these missionaries are sharing the gospel with. But because he is supporting them, he is synergos or synergos. He is participating in the same activity that they are. And this is reason number two, that we should be supporting missionaries. Now, our support for missionaries looks a little bit different than Gaius's. Gaius lived in a day and age of physical money, of gold and silver coins. The, the farthest reaching that Gaius could get his money is if his church were to take up a love offering, send it by trusted messengers to a neighboring church. And we, we do see some of that interaction in some of Paul's letters. He makes mention of that. But really, if Gaius lives in Turkey... He is not able to support missionary work in Spain. If Gaius lives in Turkey, he is not really able to support missionary work in South Africa. That is not the case for us today. We live in a day and age of digital money. We live in a day and age where most of our money is a number on a screen. And in the matter of minutes, we can send it anywhere we want in the world. So Gaius was somewhat limited. He could send his money locally and he could support missionaries that came to him and opened his home up to him. We, as 
21st century believers can support any missionary anywhere in the world in a matter of minutes. We may never get to Ghana, Africa, or Cambodia, Asia, or Venezuela, South America, but our money can. And we can send that support to missionaries who are there, who are sharing the gospel. And when we do, we participate. Even if we are never going to step foot in that country, we participate in that ministry because we are supporting them. I also want to make a note before we get to the next section uh, that John, you'll notice, does not call these Christians missionaries. He just calls them brethren. These are just Christians who are obedient to the Lord and sharing the gospel, and they're just traveling around and doing it. It is tempting, and I'm going to use uh, because I don't know any other terms to put it in, but it is tempting for those who are the quote-unquote laymen to put all the responsibility on the quote-unquote clergy. I mean, after all, the clergy are the ones who get paid to do it, and the laymen aren't. But the danger in thinking that, even though it's, even though it's true, by the way, the, those in the clergy who get paid to do it should be doing these things. But just because you don't get paid to do it doesn't mean you get to pass all the responsibility off to the clergy. These missionaries are just brethren. They're just Christians. That's you. As a Christian, you have as much a responsibility as the missionary, the person who takes that as their job title, to be sharing the gospel. Now, you might not be going to Asia or South America or Africa, but you can go across the street or in some of your cases with your family members across the table and sharing the gospel with them. As a Christian, you are responsible to both support the missionaries that go where you will never go and to also make sure you're taking care of your missions field, whether that's your family, whether that's your coworkers, whether that's your teammates, whether that's whomever it may be. You have the responsibility as much as I do, even though I'm clergy, and please don't call me that, uh, and you're layman, and I will not call you that either. Uh, those are just the classifications that I could find. Now, a common theme in Johannine literature is dichotomies. You have two choices. John is very black and white in his writings. It's very simple. And if you go through the Gospel of John, or 1 John especially, you will see light and dark, love and hate. You will see these dichotomies of life and death, good and evil, believer and unbeliever. Because to John, there's only two categories. And in reality, there are only two categories. You're either a believer or you're an unbeliever. There isn't a third option. Now, Gaius is our first option. He would be the life or the good or the love or the light. There is a second option. And this is where we meet the second person of this letter in verses 9 to uh, 10. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to fir be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words, and not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so, and puts them out of the church. Diotrephes is a tyrannical dictator over the church. He is rebellious, he is arrogant, he is deceitful, he is inhospitable, he is domineering. Now, whether or not Gaius and Diotrephes belong to the same church, we don't know. 
There are two theories in their relationship. Either Gaius belongs to church A and Diotrephes belongs to church B, but they're in the same city. And so Gaius, with supporting the brethren, is catching a lot of flack from this church because they hate doing that. Or worse for Gaius, they belong to the same church. And Gaius is under constant withering pressure to not support these brethren. Gaius's soul prospers. Gaius walks in truth. Gaius acts faithfully for the brethren who testify of his love. And Diotrephes refuses to accept the authority of John and most likely the authority of Scripture. Because John had written something and Diotrephes refused it. Most likely this is a reference to the Gospel of John or to 1 John. And notice that before John gets to the rest of his problems, he starts with a rejection of any authority other than his own. Diotrephes is the sole authority to Diotrephes, and he rejects John's authority. He rejects the word of God's authority. And the second you start rejecting God's word as authoritative in your life, there's only one way you can go, and that is down into sin, which is what we see with Diotrephes. He loves to be first among the brethren. This is the complete opposite attitude a follower of Christ is to have. For example, Matthew 20, 26 to 28, tells us this. This is a very common conversation that Jesus Christ had to have with his disciples. This is not the first time he brings it up. It is not the last time he brings it up with his disciples. But verses 26 to 28 of Matthew 20. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Diotrephes, in his actions, completely and wholeheartedly disobeys both the teachings of Jesus Christ and the example of Jesus Christ. We also learn that he lies about John and about the brethren. He falsely accuses them unjustly accuses them. The word used here literally means talking nonsense. It is the idea of intentionally lying, of knowing that what you're saying is not true. He refuses to host any missionary sent by John, and he refuses to let anyone in his church do so under threat of excommunication, which is why we believe he's a tyrannical dictator, because he has the power to just kick people out of the church if they don't do what he likes. He has absolutely no love for the brethren. And if you turn back with me to just 1 John, it's one of the passages that we read, and we'll read it briefly. This is what John has to say about those who do not love the brethren. 1 John 4, 7 to 8, and then 19 to 21, which is what we read this morning. 1 John 4, 7 to 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Diotrephes is an unbeliever, and it shows in his actions. It shows in his lack of love for the brothers. So while John is overjoyed about Gaius, John, when he shows up, is going to have to practice discipline on Diotrephes. And then we have verse 11 of, of 3 John. Beloved, 
Do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Here, John warns Gaius, and we're unsure of what exactly he's warning him. There's two main theories. One is that Gaius is getting ready to give in. That under the constant pressure and attacks and accusations of Diotrephes, he's ready to just stop supporting missionaries. Because at least it'll be quiet. It won't be peaceful, but it'll be quiet. And so here, John encourages him not to imitate what is evil by giving in and being like Diotrephes, but to continue to imitate what is good. The other theory is that Gaius is being tempted to get even with Diotrephes. Diotrephes is involved in underhanded, dirty politics. That's probably how he got power in the church. And so Gaius might be thinking, well, I'm going to get my hands dirty, but the end result is good. So it'll all work out in the end, which is not think. You should not sin so that grace can abound. If the means you take to get to a good end are sinful, you're doing it wrong. And so John is encouraging Gaius not to get even, not to imitate what is evil, even if the end result is good. Either way, Gaius needs encouragement. Either way, it's understandable why Gaius would be tempted to either give in or get even. And either way, John is encouraging him not to imitate what is evil, but to imitate what is good. Because when he imitates what is good, the one who does good is of God. His good works prove his salvation. They do not provide his salvation. Do not get it twisted. Gaius is not earning his salvation by supporting missionaries, but he is proving that he is saved by supporting missionaries. He does not earn it, but he is showing his salvation. This is an argument that James makes in James 2. So John encourages him to keep imitating Christ. Keep imitating what is good. And then we are introduced to a brother. So we have Gaius and the brethren. We have Demetrius, or I'm sorry, we have Diotrephes and the brethren. And then we have Demetrius, the brother. And this is verses 12 to 15. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we add our testimony and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write to you, but I am not willing to write them to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly and we will speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. It was common when you sent a letter to include in that letter a short commendation of the person who was traveling with it, of the courier or the messenger. We see this in some of Paul's writings, such as Colossians 4. Uh, so it's believed that because this commendation is here about Demetrius, that Demetrius is the guy that's taking the letter to Gaius. It's also believed, given the context of the book on missionaries, that Demetrius is a missionary. So John is sending Demetrius to Gaius because he knows Demetrius will be taken care of. He is also sending Demetrius to Gaius because Gaius needs encouragement. And Demetrius is going to be a representative of John, so to speak, until John can arrive. And John plans to visit. John wants to sit down across the table from Gaius and speak with him face to face. He wants to visit, both to encourage Gaius and to practice discipline on Diotrephes. And then John concludes with a short extension of peace to Gaius, which he desperately needs. He brings the greetings from the friends, which is what we believe the name of the Johannine community. 
That's how they referred to each other as the friends. And he asked Gaius to extend his greetings to others. We live in obedience to Christ. We love the brethren. We participate in their ministry and prove our salvation when we support missionaries. Gaius is our example to follow. His love for the brethren is evident through supporting them in their missionary activities. His walking in truth is the fact that he supports missionaries. He participates in their ministry because he is supporting missionaries. And John encourages Gaius to support missionaries all the more in a manner worthy of God. And the reason for this is because one, as a Christian, we are the only support base that missionaries have. If they are to go to other countries and share the gospel and translate the Bible and uh, give medical care and all of those different things that missionaries do, they need support from us. We're all that they have for support is other Christians. And when we support them, we participate in their ministries. Missionaries who have gone out for the sake of the name to make Jesus Christ known, for those of us who will never go where they go, we can still participate alongside of them by supporting them. So, as a member of the richest country the world has ever seen in its entire history, as someone that God has blessed with putting in the wealthiest nation ever, that's you and me as Americans, as someone who God has entrusted immense riches to, that majority of the world, both present and past, will never see. And in case you think I'm being a bit over the top, if your household makes more than $32,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of the global population. If your household makes more than $32,000 a year, you have more money than the vast majority of humanity ever has. As members of the wealthiest nation, as members of the top 1% globally, whom God, for whatever reason, has trusted with immense wealth, even if you don't feel like you have immense wealth, it is so important that we be supporting missionaries. As a good steward of what God has given you, as a fellow brother or sister in Christ, as an obedient child of God, as a good work that you can be doing, show your love for the brethren through supporting missionaries so that they can go and share the gospel and souls can be saved. So that you can participate with them even if you never leave Lebanon County again. So that you can show your love for the brethren and so that you can live in obedience to Christ. Support missionaries. And a great place to start is a map out in that hallway that shows the missionaries that we support. That is If you do not. And if you already support missionaries, then I would give you the same encouragement that John gives Gaius. You will do well to send them on, our way, in their, on their way in a manner worthy of God. This is then an encouragement to support more missionaries. Because this is how we are obedient to Christ, how we love the brethren, how we participate in their ministry, and one of the ways that we prove our salvation by supporting missionaries. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. 
I thank you that we have books like 3 John that although they are short, they talk about such an important topic. I pray that today you get into our hearts. You give us a desire to share the wealth you have entrusted with us around the world with other brothers, other sisters in Christ who have boldly gone to places that we may never visit to share the good news of Jesus Christ. May we have a heart and a desire to support those brothers and sisters, knowing that we are their base of support, knowing that we participate in their ministries, knowing that it is a way that we can show love to brothers and sisters that we may never meet. Help us find missionaries, to find missionary organizations that preach your word, that preach truth, that go out for the sake of the name, that we may support them and encourage them and work alongside of them while we are busy doing our missionary work here in Lebanon County. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.